Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin. Later on we'll be joined by Mr. FC Dallas himself, Steve Davis, to preview the next opponent for Minnesota United this coming Sunday as the Loons travel to Frisco, Texas. First though, Kendra, so much has happened since we last did one of these podcasts. Um, let's focus on, on the present, shall we, and talk about LA Galaxy and the, the result that Minnesota United were able to get, a 1-1 tie for those of you that are living under a rock. Um, it, it's safe to say it was a dominating performance, it was a good performance, it was a satisfactory performance, but the result not so much given the amount of chances Minnesota United were able to carve out. Well, and I think that's exactly it. It, it, it was this weird feeling post-match because you had this amazing moment where Robin Lud scores the goal in the 87th minute, and it's a draw, and you end up a 1-1 tie with the LA Galaxy at home, and the crowd was awesome. It's a Wednesday night. You never know how that's going to go, especially when school is still going on. And But it didn't feel as as celebratory as you're expecting when the team plays that well and scores a goal because they came out with a draw and it felt like it should be a win. It felt like it should be three points. And I think we'll be saying that a lot in the sense that the expectation for this team Mm. is so high that when you don't come away with three points at home specifically at Allianz Field, it will feel slightly disappointing. But I did think that the quality chances that were created. It was different than other games where, like, they couldn't score a goal, chances created, they dominate the possession, whatever it might be. This felt like the play, the flow, the offensive output of the team, um, the contributions from everybody involved, the holding midfielders play, the outside backs, such a complete game aside from scoring the goal that it felt like there should have been more from this game because there was some good, really good stuff from Minnesota United. And uh, in the end, ultimately, they were actually lucky to come away with the 1-1 draw because they allowed the goal earlier from Sasha Kleschen on the PK and unlucky handball by Michael Boxel. It's an interesting point as well because there, there was a time for Minnesota United where they would have gladly have taken a 1-1 draw at home to LA Galaxy. But given now the investments in the team, given the significance of, of how much they put behind home games, that there is a real disappointment when you don't win a game like that, particularly given the, the dominance in front of goal as well. And I think there was also a time in the past where you felt like, are they going to find a way to score? Whereas in this game against LA Galaxy at home on Wednesday night, I felt like it was there. There, there would be a Minnesota United goal in this match at some point, whereas in the opposite side of things, there have been times in the past where maybe you weren't sure if there was someone that could put that opportunity away, if there was enough quality in the attacking third. This this game did not feel that way to me. I truly felt like there was, was going to be a goal at some point for Minnesota United knocking on the door. And when you have a player like a Robin Lud, who I know that wasn't brought on and signed originally as a traditional number nine but he is Mr. Consistency, Mr. Reliable, whether he's on the wing or whether he's up top, that he will find a way to bury it if you give him another chance. And it just looked so lively in the attacking third um, with the game plan and the execution of it that the goal was going to come at some point. In terms of individuals that had a good game, you mentioned Robin Lud, of course. Um, DJ Taylor came into the game, um, his first start in some time for Minnesota United. I wonder, has he given Adrian Heath some thinking to do moving forward? Well, I think, first and foremost, once again, they've had to rotate the outside back position, and O'Neill Fisher played in the previous match against Seattle Sounders for the majority of the time. And I did think that 
um, DJ played fantastic. I mean, he he had a lot of work to do. When you have Rancier on that side, just pushing up and down, the fluidity, the movement of the attackers, the overlapping runs um, from the outside backs that they had. So I thought DJ Taylor played phenomenal and didn't put a foot wrong. And Adrian Heath is very specific. Of course, you want to focus on defending first. Get forward when you can. Try to always play the ball forward, not play the ball back. And be smart. And, and we've seen in, in mistakes in the past where – don't try to possess the ball if you don't need to. If you need to just clear your lines, clear your lines. It's better safe than sorry against teams, especially like an Alec Galaxy who can punish you if you don't make that move. And I thought DJ Taylor checked all those boxes. Um, he looked exhausted at the end of the match. I think he was playing on pure adrenaline and, mm. and emotion when he made that run forward to to make the second assist on the goal. Um, and and rightfully so. He wasn't. He's not a ninety minutes match fit shape right now with the amount of minutes or lack thereof that he's gotten throughout the season. So DJ Taylor was fantastic. And, you know, you know, he's the kind of guy that when he's called upon, he will absolutely step up and give it his all. And he will wait and fight and claw and training every day when he's not getting those chances to try to get himself and work himself back into the the starting 11. Whilst we're on the subject of positives, another good performance was Dane St. Clair once again. And um, to my knowledge, I think was given the Bell Bank Man of the Match, not for the first time this season. Um, how much have Minnesota United got to thank the Canadian international this year? I think, and Adrian Heath talks about this, Stuart Kerr talks about this, you know, you want them to make the saves that they're supposed to make, which is what Dane does, but he also makes some spectacular saves, more importantly, in important moments of the game. If he hadn't made that first save where he tips it over the crossbar, a shot from distance, early in that game when he's in front of the Wonderwall, that would have completely changed the dynamic and, and the way Minnesota could play this game. You could see him firing his team up, getting excited, you know, telling the guys, let's go, because you can't allow an early goal like that. So in those moments, in important moments, when you make big saves like that, even more so than just even the regular run-of-the-mill saves. And and Dane's been doing it consistently. He's keeping this team in games and moments when maybe it should have gone the other way. And I think Dane deserves every bit of the credit for that. And it's been really fun to watch. During our pregame show on, on the television side of things, you spoke about the importance of transition on Wednesday nights. Was it as important as you thought it was? Did it play as big of a part as you thought it did, particularly from the centre of midfield? Well, I thought Will Trapp and Kervin Ariaga were phenomenal. I thought that um, they did what they needed to do in the sense that they were a bit of the connector. The communication was there. And I think when I'm talking about transition moments, we were talking a little bit more about getting on the wrong side or the other side of the LA Galaxy wingbacks, which you saw Huang Wan do a number of times behind Raheem Edwards. A big switch coming from the other side, whether it was Kamar Lawrence, whether it was Ariaga, Will Trapp, even Reynoso, trying to ping that ball in behind and, and Huang Wan making that run. I thought that the holding midfielders did their jobs in the sense that they pushed on when necessary. They stayed home when necessary and they really locked down the midfield which is a very tough task against LA Galaxy so I, I thought the communication was phenomenal from those two and it helped with even Javier Hernandez Chicharito because a lot of that passing off isn't just about the center backs it's about those in front of them as well and the communication with the amount of movement Costa as well Douglas Costa in the midfield and then you also had uh, Grand Seer who we talked about Cabral with pace mm -hmm. these are all players that were interchangeable and had a lot of movement I thought they did really well and in terms of the opposing fullbacks, um, you mentioned LA Galaxy's um, wide play was something that Minnesota had to watch for. Did they contain the wide areas, the wide areas as, as much as you thought they would? I thought so. I thought the fact that we weren't talking about the outside backs for LA Galaxy getting on the wrong side because they weren't really allowed to go forward. I thought the pressure that Fragapane and Longwane and 
and others were putting on in their attack was forcing their outside backs to stay home. And I think that kept them out of the the score sheet, out of the attacking third of the field, and it limited their opportunities to contribute to the offense for LA Galaxy. So I thought that, uh, you know, just the game plan, the execution of the game plan, the chances created, the movement. I thought Robin stayed pretty central between the in and around the center backs in the first half, a little bit more movement side to side in the second half. But I thought everything, it really checked all those boxes. The only thing missing was the goal. And then ultimately it came in the 87th minute. When is Longwana going to score his first goal? Oh, man, I'm telling you. I think the place, I mean, did you see that T-shirt? Yes, I did see that T-shirt. Keep St. Paul, Bonga Gukle. I was like, I showed that to my daughter because she loves Bongi. And I was like, she's like, I don't even know what that means. I'm like, I don't know either, but it's awesome. Like, (laughs) I mean, he, you know, he's one of those players, just like DJ Taylor getting the secondary assist. Like, Mm. you just want that player to find their moment because of the work they're putting in. And I think that he continues Longwani to be more and more dynamic every game. He he was doing what was asked once again with the runs in behind. And he has a brilliant first touch on a couple of those chances, but knowing when to pass, when to shoot, when to take it to the end line. Um, hopefully it comes this weekend against Dallas. He's uh, he's playing very well indeed. He's played in every single Minnesota United game this season, including the Lamar Hunt US Open Cup as well. Feels like it's around the corner. He's getting closer every time, isn't it? As you say, let's hope it comes this weekend against FC Dallas. Right then, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org ortho. Next up, we'll talk to Steve Davis about FC Dallas. Welcome back to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. And joining us now, a man who knows just about everything there is to know about FC Dallas. Steve Davis joins us on the line. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Look, this looks like it's been a spectacular campaign for FC Dallas so far. Um, Given the fact that they now operate under a new head coach, what else do you think has been the main defining reason for why they find themselves where they are with just one defeat in their last nine in Major League Soccer? Uh, yeah, well, thanks for that very kind introduction, uh, Callum. Sweet of you. Um, so I, I think you committed the season in the big picture, okay, the 35,000-foot view. You say FC Dallas has to do two things this year. Uh, they have to improve that home record. They were 5-5-7 five, five, and seven last year. Historically, they've been really good at home, protecting the home field. It, they didn't do it last year. And the other thing is, uh, they gave up 56 goals last year. You know, you're not you're not making the playoffs giving up that many goals. So you say improve defense and um, improve that home record. And I think they've checked those two boxes so far. That's still a long way to go. You know, we've just sort of rounded the corner pole of uh, about a third of the way through the season. But you know, right away, uh, guys, when I watched FC Dallas play, you could just see that the defensive structure was just better. Uh, under Lucha Gonzalez, they tended to concentrate on what do we do with the ball or how do we possess the ball? How do we move forward in possession? But I think there were times, you know, when they, even last year, you could just see that the defensive structure wasn't what it needed to be. And this year, I think they've improved the defensive structure. And I guess really that's job one. And through def- uh, improving that defensive structure, 
you have a better home record. And now they are uh, sitting undefeated at home. They've gotten 16 out of a possible 18 points. So the, in the big picture, those are the two big uh, turnaround points that I, I think you would circle. When you talk about the defensive structure, and I think most people would probably agree that ultimately defense wins games in those moments when your offense might be struggling a little bit. What have you seen the change from an offensive perspective, aside the addition of Paul Areola, which we know has been big for you guys, and Jesus Ferreira on fire, but what has been the big change for you guys offensively? Well, you picked it out right away. Look, I think, first of all, you'd say the personnel is just better. You know, if you look last year, Kendra, um, Early parts of the, uh, of the season, the front line was uh, Freddie Vargas, Frank O'Hara, and Hadea O'Brien. Okay, Freddie Vargas it just he he was just a guy that didn't work out. He never he never found his feet in Major League Soccer. He's he's out of the league. Frank O'Hara, of course, ten or so games about this point last year, they made the decision. You know, the Frank O'Hara experiment is over. Uh, we're going with Ricardo Pepe. And that was, and of course, Pepe has moved on since then. But so there's two. And now over on the, the right side, Javier O'Brien is, isn't, he is what he is. But I'm not sure he is a frontline Major League Soccer winger. Now they have Paul Ariola. So I think the first thing you say is just, you know, the, the personnel is a lot better. Jesus Ferreira is now playing striker. He was injured for the first couple of months last year. And then he played in that hole in the uh, playmaking role and did quite well. But I think his more natural position is as a striker, albeit one that likes to drift back and help in possession a little bit. So a lot of it, you know, guys, we, as, as media, you know, we talked about tactics and mentality. And sometimes the personnel is just better, you know. Talk to me a little bit more than uh, about Ferreira then, Steve, because we, we've obviously watched from a distance and it's interesting you say he, he's, he's better suited as a centre-forward, but a centre-forward that, that likes to drop a little bit. I, I've always thought he's perhaps better suited as, as a shadow striker or maybe even a false <laughs> nine. Why is it working so well for him as a centre-forward at FC Dallas at the moment? He's able to play. Now, Nico doesn't really, Nico Stevens as a manager, doesn't really like to, uh, for whatever reason, he, he, he doesn't fancy the term false nine. <laughs> uh, but but I think it's a pretty apt description in the way we think about these things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is a is a guy who is very good at, at connecting plays, so, so he can certainly drop back. And to be honest, at the beginning of the season, I've talked to Jesus about this, and he knows that, you know, the, the muscle memory was telling him, you know, drop back, get in possession, drop back, get in possession. And Nico doesn't mind. There are certain moments when when if they're struggling to move out of the back, Nico actually wants him to to, to drop back and help you know, help move the ball out of the back. Now, uh, in in the moments, uh, you know, maybe when they're playing at home and maybe when they're controlling possession, that's when they encourage Jesus. No, go ahead and stay up a little further. We're doing okay back here. We can we can do this part. You need to stay up a, a little bit further. So he's just a he's a player who can who can fill either role. And and I know there is this perception for a while that um, early this year I remember people saying, well, why? Is Nico playing striker? He's a he's obviously a creative midfielder, and that's just not really true. Uh, I remember back, um, well, I guess it was uh, 2017, 18, when he was just introduced into the first team as a as a very young player. I would go to the training sometimes, and I would say, you know what? He's already the best finisher. He's already the best pure finisher on this on this roster. He may not get into games right now, but he's a terrific striker. I, I think it just took him a little bit of time this year to to sort of rewire the brain and to remembering that he doesn't have to be the connecting piece anymore. He needs to be the piece that's a little bit further up. And when he gets the ball, you know, say at the top of the 18, instead of looking to make one more pass, now he's a guy that needs to uh, – that, that needs to turn and shoot. The other thing is, if you watch his last three or four games, his sense of timing and his ability to see the run, it's just on right now. He's just seeing the run. 
so early and he's really smart. So he knows the run to make. And if you see it before the center backs, you know, you, you've already got the center backs in trouble. And I know we'll, we'll talk we'll, uh, more about other parts of the FC Dallas squad, but the last Jesus Ferrer question for me is, and it's a little bit FC Dallas, a little bit men's national team related. Do you think any of the conversations and the pressure of the upcoming World Cup and the, you know, the friendlies that they have coming up and things like that and the conversation about have we found our number nine, you know, as, mm-hmm. as we in the media like to focus on for the men's national team, do you think that's going to get to his head at all or is his pedigree just um, that that's not going to affect him at all as a player? Well, first of all, uh, of course, we're having those conversations because that's what we do. And that's what, and, 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 and fans have those conversations. And that's why we love the sport. And that's all part of it. And it's interesting, uh, guys, that I, I've, I've spoken to Jesus about it. And he's been very candid. He said, look, you know, I have a job here. You know, he recognizes now he's highly paid. He's the first homegrown designated player. He understands his role and his responsibility here. But he also tells me that it's hard not to think about that stuff. You know, he's very candid about it. He said, you know, you, you try to put it out of your mind, but, but you know, it's, it's a World Cup. It's Qatar. It's what every soccer player dreams about. And it's like he's telling me I have to make a conscious effort not to think about that stuff. So I'm not sure that what the, what the answer is. Yes, he's thinking about it, and no, he's trying not to think about it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Steve, I was fortunate enough to see FC Dallas against Kansas City in the Open Cup last week in, in what was perhaps <laughs> the most ridiculous match I've ever seen in my life. Um, but <laughs> it, it, the, the point here is is that the, the roster that you, you briefly mentioned earlier on in the podcast is extremely deep for FC Dallas with the abundance of games that we have upon us. So are we expecting much of a rotation from them? I, I don't think so. And it's interesting you say that because I see it as a roster that is, is really uh, wonderfully deep in certain spots and alarmingly thin in, in, in other spots. If you look at the wingers, uh, you know, guys like Sabolt Shun, who, who's a Hungarian international, you know, had a number of assists last year. He can't get on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the depth of wing is, is, is terrific. How is the depth of striker? Man, you know, maybe not so great. How is the depth of that eight position where Brenda Cervania and Paxton Pomichol have been, in my opinion, doing such a great job this year? What's the depth behind them? Right now, it's uh, a rookie. And see, he is in, in Sabolt Who's, who's got a little something, by the way, but he's he's young and he makes some mistakes. He's late on some things. He's late to recognize. He's late into some tackles, you know, which gets him in some yellow card jeopardy. So those two spots in particular, I, I'm not sure that the depth is, is that great. And as you know, as you guys know, especially in the West this year, the margins are so thin. You know, there's there's so many, there, there are good teams in the West and you know, teams that we think are going to make the playoffs that are still trailing behind, like Seattle. And then there's Nashville that came over from the East. They a very good team from the East. There's a lot of good teams in the West. The margins are thin. And I look at those two spots and I say, man, if something happens there, then, then you know, FC Dallas, now they've really got to circle the wagons a little bit. You mentioned a name there in Paxton Pomacall, who I believe is, what, 22 years old now, but it feels like he's been around the league for a bit but had some serious injuries that mostly, you know, you see happen to veteran players. Is is he happy to be back on the field consistently and healthy for now because he's had some ups and downs in his career, and what does he do for this FC Dallas team? Yeah, Paxton is uh, the first to tell you that last year was uh, a year, is sort of a transition year, a year after a big surgery, you know, where he had uh, really two operations in there to sort of take care of, you know, a lot of soccer players have that, have the the hip flexor growing, you know, ab strain, you know, that whole area there just gets out of, it just gets out of whack. And, and so FC Dallas knew all along, by the way, last year that he was really a player that needed to be central. They wanted to protect him as they they worked him back into the lineup uh, after really missing a full year. uh, They didn't want him 
they didn't want him turning as much. They didn't want him having pressure from 360 degrees. They wanted him on the wing to get him to where he is right now, which is back central. And, you know, Paxton is doing so much in terms of um, setting the tempo of the team, you know, understanding he's a, he's a real smart player. He's one of these guys that's he's a very sweet guy and, he, and he'll talk to you and joke around, but, but he's, very soccer focused you know he doesn't really care about you know playing fifa doing some other things he wants to go watch another soccer game and so he's really smart about understanding tempo and understanding the spots where nico wants the team to go you know okay now we've unbalanced them now we've got what we want now we go and understanding nope we're just going to recycle and we're just going to keep moving this ball around until one of these guys gets a little bit out of position and we know what we're looking for and then we're going to hit that spot so I think uh, Paxton is doing a lot of that. He gets fouled a lot because he's very good about pressuring in the right spots and getting into those physical confrontations. I think he's, um, I think he's having a terrific season. And by the way, Callum, I'm sorry. I didn't really get back to your question a minute ago. And the honest answer is um, I, I did go to uh, training this morning and a lot of players were given the day off. And Nico Steves just said, you know, we got to get them in tomorrow um, and see where they are exactly. Uh, guys like uh, Matt Hedges, who left the game the other day, he had just a little spasm him in the hamstring, so he left uh, a few minutes early. Uh, Marco Farfan, who's been so good defensively this year, and uh, you know they just they're just rioting that guy. I haven't seen him wear out yet, but the other day he did get a little tired. He left the game, so I, I don't know how much rotation. And I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure Nico right now, even though you know we're 40, 48 hours out from the match, I'm not sure he even knows. I ask him if that's going to be a problem. You know, is it more difficult not knowing uh, exactly what you have and you're 48 hours before kickoff? And he said, you know, I, I think everybody at this point, they, they know the system. They know uh, what we expect and, you know, and we'll show them things about Minnesota. So whoever that we put in there, he's confident they'll understand what to do. But at this point, it's just sort of looking at them physically and, and assessing where a lot of guys are. I appreciate that, Steve. Um, in terms of Nico Estevez, then, it, it seems as though because of his experience with U.S. soccer, but more so because of his record working with the youth team in Valencia and, and Valencia B as well, and producing young talent, Steve, it, it looks as if he was almost a perfect fit for FC Dallas. And so far, one would assume, given the record, that they got this one absolutely Rice. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a coincidence. Look, it's no secret. FC Dallas is uh, built around the homegrown, uh, you know, the homegrown players. Uh, it, by the numbers, they're the second youngest team in Major League Soccer. That is by the uh, the minutes played and the average ages of the of the players getting the minutes. They're the second youngest team. So I think it would be uh, it wouldn't have been wise for them to go out. And, and get somebody who was more used to working with veterans and had a little bit more trouble trusting younger players. You guys have been around the game enough. You know, there's, there are plenty of managers out there who just they just don't trust younger players. And, and if they even they did trust them, they don't quite understand that younger players are going to make mistakes and you have to deal with them just a little bit differently. I, I talked to Nico about that just uh, not even an hour ago. As he said, you know, look, there, there were some mistakes made at the end of that uh, match against Vancouver. And he said, you know, of course there are mistakes. And of course we're going to talk to them, but uh, you know, some of those are by young players, and you just have to approach that situation differently. So, uh, yeah, at this point, the early returns are certainly good. You, you never really know about new managers. It's easy to manage. You know, heck, any one of the three of us could do it when things are going great, right? That's not really true. But it's not really true exactly. But but you get the point. Now, what happens? You know, with the first you know the first big locker room issue. What happens? You know, the first. Yeah, you know, the the first real dip in form, you know, the first losing streak because it's out there, you know, whether it's this year, next year, whenever. You know what happens then? But uh, Nico is very calm about things, very analytical about things. So what you can say right now is a third of the way through his first season, the early returns are very good. 
Speaking of young players, I want to just ask you a quick question about FC Dallas and sort of the process with the academy and the homegrowns and the amount of talent that has come through those academies as homegrowns. And then there's always been a little bit, I shouldn't say always, but the last few years, like a a little bit of an uproar that the selling of these players on for big money, but then not reinvesting it into the team. And if this team isn't finding success, where's that balance? What's the thought process inside FC Dallas in that market when you have this talent that keeps getting sold on, but you're not necessarily capitalizing on it on the first team? Yeah, no, and, and it's a fair question to ask. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, the little bit of context there is that um, there, there was a, a former technical director who developed cancer and, you know, was doing the best he could, but, you know, he, he, he was fighting cancer and he eventually passed away. So then they get then they get Andres Anota in there. Andres Anota, I think, needed a year to sort of get his feet set. Uh, maybe his first crop of uh, international internationals weren't quite as good. I think now it's better and now he he more fully understands you know he always understood uh, uh, selling players like now he more fully understands what kind of player in major league soccer it takes to succeed and now i think you uh, it would be unfair at this point to say that they're not reinvesting for a long time maybe you could make that argument but now you know they've gone out and spent more than they ever spent uh, to get a guy like Alan Velasco. Uh, they went out and got a goalkeeper in Martin Paz. Um, he's, he's on loan, but I can tell you that the situation was, it looks very good for them to make that a permanent transfer. Martin Paz was a starting goalkeeper at Utrecht in, in the Dutch era de Visse um, as of you know, late December. And so I, so I think now they're just more comfortable with the technical staff. I think uh, around here, you know, we say they're, they're spending those peppy bucks. I think they're comfortable spending some of those Ricardo Pepe bucks and uh, it's 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 looking that part is looking a little better in terms of reinvesting the money that they do recoup from some of these transfers. I'm glad you brought up Alan Velasco because they spent seven million of those Ricardo Pepe bucks as you say <laughs> on the Argentine who was spectacular at Independiente in, in the top mm-hmm. division in Argentina. This is one heck of a player Steve and, and one that I'm assuming FC Dallas wants to keep around for some time. Of course, and, and look, um, you know, part of the model here is is you know getting these players young, and then Al Velasco certainly has some ambition to go play in Europe one day. FC Dallas knows that there's no problem there if they can get two or three good years out of him. I think they'd be, I, I think they'd be fine. They'd be thrilled if he wants to stay longer, of course, but. That is part of the model, and that's part of the understanding as, as a guy like Alan Velasco comes in. And look, I, I'll, I'll be honest, um, Alan Velasco has a, a world of talent, and he's very coachable. And, he, you know, if you, you guys will, you know, watch games of FC Dallas, and you'll see it uh, on Sunday. That I, I beg your pardon, I, I don't know if we're going to see him on Sunday because he's in health and safety protocol right now. But the next time you see him, you'll see that he, he puts out a very honest effort uh, defending. You know, he's in the right spots. You know, he tries very hard. Sometimes he's better at it than others. As far as you know, getting into the actual physical confrontations, he's not a he's not a big guy. So you know, they have something there, but he hasn't quite figured out a few things about the league yet. You know, when he can take players on, when it's better to, to circulate, when it's better to stay out of the middle. You know, that's where the that's where the congestion is. You know, maybe maybe you just need to pass out of there and then and get the ball at a, at a little better space. He hasn't quite figured that out yet, but he's 19 years old. Nico Estevez has talked about having the patience to let him learn those things. Yeah, I I remember asking him, um, oh, shoot, who was it? Somebody was coming in here, one of the tough defensive midfielders, and and I said, are you a little worried that uh, he's just going to kick a young little Allen into the stands? They said, nope because Alan has to learn about that stuff. And, he, you know, we can tell him, but he's, he's got to learn, you know, and if, and if he gets kicked a couple of times and gets fouled hard in a certain spot, he's going to figure out, oh, well, maybe I don't need to be in that spot. So he just said, you know, Alan's got a world of talent and he's just going to have to learn along the way. 
Looking ahead at Minnesota United for FC Dallas this weekend, Stephen, both teams coming off a midweek game, a tough schedule. They've been on, a, you know, a kind of a whirlwind with the way this season is shaped up. What do you see, Minnesota United? What do you see from the group this year so far into the season? Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's a good question. And I have to confess because of these Open Cup games, I'm a little behind on doing my Minnesota homework. I'm, I'm watching uh, Minnesota and right now, I just saw Robin Lud miss a uh, <laughs> miss a shot at about 16 yards that he probably should have put on target. He went high with it. So I, I've seen a couple of Minnesota matches, but in those moments, am I sitting there with a the notepad making notes, or am I sitting there uh, enjoying a icy cold Pacifico with a little bit of lime? Maybe I'm doing that instead. So, so I don't I don't, don't, don't want to sit here and act like I know uh, enough about Minnesota uh, United just yet. But I'm doing my homework this afternoon. Okay, Steve. So let's refocus on FC Dallas then, shall we? And, and as you've quite rightly said, that they are a team that develops a lot of very good players uh, from the academy they have a reputation for a reason who's the next one then and I'm sorry to put you on the spot by asking you this but we'll do it anyway who, who, who is That's the okay. next big one that you think could make a move to whether it is Europe or, or somewhere across world football over the course of the next year or two yeah well first of all uh, if you look at uh, a little further out projection you know apparently around FC Dallas you're never wrong if you just say the name Pereira because Santi Ferreira is, is one he's playing in North Texas uh, soccer club right now he plays a little bit further back in the midfield than uh, than his father or his older brother, but they're they're very high on him. Uh, Antonio Carrera, goalkeeper, uh, they're very high on him. In fact, he's 17 years old. Uh, he's not like uh, Gaga Slanina up in Chicago starting yet, but the other day he was on the bench. If something had happened to Jimmy Maurer, you would have seen a, another 17-year-old goalkeeper in Major League Soccer come into the match. Um, and then as far as more immediate sell, which uh, I think is what you're asking, um, you know, look, Jesus Fur is a guy uh, who's making great money over here right now. He's dedicated to what he wants to do. I think everybody understands that American players this summer is not going to be the time to move because you don't want to go up, you know, go off on another team and who knows what's going to happen before the World Cup. We saw that happen with Ricardo Pepe, who's, you know, sort of gotten lost a little bit. Um, by the way, he'll be at the, uh, Ricardo Pepe will be at the game this weekend uh, and we'll be training with the team a little bit. Uh, so maybe that will put him in a little better place, you know, mentally as uh, getting some national team games. But, but for, uh, you know, it, it's not going to be lost on everybody that overseas watching him that right now he's an American who is a golden boot leader, and you don't send to, you don't tend to get a lot of those. I still a long way to go, but of course, the only I looked this up over the last 15 years, Chris Wondolowski and Landon Donovan are the only American golden boot winners. So Jesus, I think he can do he can do whatever he wants. If he wants to go to Europe, I think he will be able to do that. If he wants to stay here and sort of nurture his younger brother along, he can do that. But uh, the answer is uh, Jesus Ferrer. He's he will be another one that they can sell at uh, maybe not quite at the Ricardo Pepe price, but at a good price if they want to and if he wants to. And the last one for me, Steve, is just when you look at this FC Dallas side and the fact that they're flying right now in the third um, position in the Western Conference and looking good. But where is the weak spot for this group when we look at FC Dallas? Where is there still maybe a point of concern for you when you see this team? Yeah, uh, Kendra, it's a good question, uh, and I'm not quite sure I would label it, uh, I would file it under concern, but I, I said a while ago, it's it's a young team. Um, I think there are a couple of depth spots, as, as we just talked about, but if you look at the match against Vancouver the other day, I think you see the answer, because FC Dallas played a good match, they controlled tempo for a young team. What they did was they passed the ball around the back a lot, in the first half especially. To me, that was that, that was a real victory, because they for a young team, what they were doing was saying, look, if, if they're not going to come get us, if they're just going to sit back in that mid-block, we're just going to draw them out. We'll, we'll just wait and wait and wait and wait until they come out. 
And they finally did, and Dallas got behind them and scored a goal, right? Now, second half, um, late in the game, there was, a couple of, uh, there was a complete breakdown on one goal. And I won't go through the whole thing, but several young players in different spots are making mistakes, right? And they get the goal scored on them. And then we get the later, but, but it's still, it's, it's a one, one game. It's a draw at that point. They've already got three points out in LA on this two game road trip. Now you're looking at four points out of two road games. That's okay. But there's another breakdown and another young player makes a mistake. So that to me is, again, I don't know if I say concern, but if you're looking at the ceiling of the team, they've got young players who are learning along the way, including Jesus and including Alan Velasco. And you just sort of say, okay, what is the ceiling for the team right now? Are they supporters' shield, true supporters' shield contenders? I'm not quite sure because they're a very young team. And so that's where I would sort of say the weakness is. Just finally then, Steve, and it's funny you bring up the supporters' shield suggestion. Uh, In your mind, what what does define a good season for FC Dallas this year? Uh, Improvement. Uh, Right now, they've... Improved in a lot of a, a lot of areas, uh, just like we talked about. The defending structure is just a lot better. Uh, the home record is is better. You know, it's, we're only a third of the way through the season. Things can change, but the team didn't make the playoffs last year. So, make the playoffs. That's absolutely the, the, the first goal, and that's your first marker of improvement. And I, I think from there, you hate to say anything else is a bonus. And I'm not really sure. I like the term playing with house money. From there, you know, you want to you want to set your ambitions a little bit higher. But look, if you if they can finish top four after not making the playoffs last year after giving up 56 goals they could finish anywhere top four or five I, I, I think that would be fantastic bring some of these younger players along Jesus Ferrer is obviously having a great year Paxton Pomichol is having this a terrific rebound year Matt Hedges uh, after last year when he had his own injury struggles he's having a good year so I think all, all of that checks the box uh, they just have to sort of keep moving down the road right now because they're, they're in a pretty good way right now despite the bad thing that happened the other day the late loss against Vancouver I, I still think the team's in a pretty good place wonderful I think Thanks to FC Dallas TV analyst Steve Davis and to Kindred D. St. Aubin and, of course, to our expert button presser, Andrea Correa, and, of course, to you for listening at home. Sunday, 6 o'clock, Bally Sports North and 1500 ESPN. For FC Dallas against Minnesota United, the Loons back on the road. You've been listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. <laughs> <laughs>